Hi, this is Peter Rivera, and I'm the original drummer and lead singer of the group Rare Earth. We've had a long career, 50 years. We've played all over the world. We've recorded many, many albums and lots of hit singles. I'm going to talk about them all. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the stories. Well, oddly enough, I can't remember which club we were playing in in Detroit when the Motown folks came down to check us out. We were so wrapped up in the fact that somebody from Motown was coming that, you know, what club it was escapes me. I can kind of see it, um, and but I just can't pinpoint the exact club. Some of the other guys would probably remember, but I sure don't. I was pretty excited about what was about to happen. So Margaret came down, and a few days later, somebody else came down from Motown, and and we were finally invited to come to the studio. So we had five nights, uh, you know, two thirty three in the morning until nine. And uh, we didn't really know exactly what to do, so we did the songs from the club that were the most popular. And uh, then you know, the Get Ready came out and that started happening months later and, and then another record, another record. And so we were getting to the point where we were going to go to uh, L.A. to meet, officially, Barry Gordy, the owner of Motown. So we were picked up at the hotel, the limousine, and it seemed peculiar because the driver was making right turns, left turns, working his way up in the hills behind the uh, the hotel on Sunset Boulevard. And we finally pulled up in front of a big, big house in the Hollywood Hills. And we were told that we needed to call... Barry Gordy, we needed to call him Mr. Gordy. And, you know, some a couple of us were a little cocky, you know. And, uh, so anyways, we got to the big house, and as we were walking in, Barry Gordy was standing there, and we shook hands as we walked by. And I think I said, Hi, Barry, nice to meet you. I didn't say Mr. Gordy. I don't know who did, if anybody did, but I know that I didn't. And I didn't feel any bad vibe from it. Uh, and I wasn't really thinking about that. I, I was just me going, hey, Barry, how are you, man? Nice to meet you. You know, way to go. And we went into his house, and he had a huge, huge living room with several couches and chairs and all kinds of room in there. And... Our manager sat down with Barry and the band kind of took places around the room. I was kind of all the way across the room on a couch, on a sofa there. And uh, the talking was really Barry Gordy and our manager. We were just kind of sitting there being, being, uh, being nice, just how you doing, hey? And... Uh, 
This girl came out of a doorway and she come to the couch and sat down next to me. And, uh, you know, I, I noticed that and I didn't really look at her real, you know, a lot right away. And then as we sat there for a while, I realized that this girl was Diana Ross. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, wow, Diana Ross, man, this is great. And so I introduced myself and said, hello, how you doing? Love what you do, and blah, 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 blah. And isn't this fun stuff? I mean, she was young too. We were young. We were all like kids in a candy shop, you know, real excited. And uh, she looked at me. And at the time, I didn't know this, but I, I know it now. And I'm going to tell you this right now. The rumor had it around Motown that Barry Gordy had a fire in his heart about Diana Ross. And he wanted so bad to be with Diana. And at the time, they weren't together because, I don't know, maybe she's standoff or playing hard to get or whatever. I don't know. I just moved into this new situation but I know that Barry was looking over when she was sitting next to me and she said are you hungry and I kind of looked at her and went yeah I am a little hungry she says I got a pizza in the kitchen would you like some and I said yeah you bet so we both got up and I followed her down the hall into the kitchen and uh, she went over to the sink to do something and I'm standing there and all of a sudden, boom, Barry Gordy walks into the kitchen and he just kind of looks at me and looks at her, and, you know, kind of nosing around in the kitchen and then uh, we, we kind of all left and nothing ever came of it. Nothing was ever said to me. I didn't know whether he was jealous or he thought I was whatever but it was all perfectly just nice friendly no underlying stuff if you know what i mean and i know you know what i mean but anyways that's about all i remember about meeting barry gordy uh we we, we eventually we kind of left and hey thank you see you later bye bye and all the all the stuff like hey you guys are great man we love the song and get ready and hey there you go and then Motown had a company had a company in a building on Sunset Boulevard. The address was 6464 Sunset Boulevard. Never forget it. And when we went to the office buildings like that, we went up and that's where we met Fuller Gordy and Barry's other brother and a couple of sisters and and uh, the administrative, you know, Barry had hired a lot of his family members to to do the administration and run the company. And we met this gal named Suzanne DePass, and she was really cool. Suzanne was a very nice woman. Well, she was the new A&R director in the California location. Back in Detroit, it used to be a guy named Harry Balk. And Harry was a cigar-smoking, hey, how you doing, baby? You know, really, real, a real guy, you know, a real cool dude. And uh, 
Motown had basically moved, and, and a lot of people they had replaced with West Coast uh, people. And Suzanne DePass was one of them. She was very, very nice and wanted to help us out any way that we could. And so we were, we're kind of cool. We're all set with Motown. We got these first couple records out, and things are going great. And off we go back onto the road. And uh, we were just playing everywhere. Um, going out and doing shows and getting bigger and bigger shows and so many things happened on, on, on those shows. It's just incredible. I'm going to talk about some of it. Like we, uh, we were asked before we signed with Motown, we were asked by these guys to, this is when the Beatles were coming to America shortly before they were coming these guys approached us and said hey you know uh, we've got this campaign going on it's called stamp out the Beatles oh yeah oh yeah what's that all about well what we'd like to do is we'd like to do a record called stamp out the Beatles and we'll go in the studio and record it we'll put this out and it'll be you know It'll get a lot of notoriety because the Beatles are coming and there's so much hubbub about the Beatles and all that and other people are making fun of them and you know, it's just crazy time. So anyways, we went, we went home and I kind of wrote this song called Stamp Out the Beatles. And what I did was I tried to take uh, several of the Beatles songs and write lyrics to it, take pieces of the songs to make one whole song out of it. And, uh, I mean, it was no big deal. You know, it was like a spoof, silly kind of thing. But anyways, we did it. Because at the time, before Motown, we would would do anything if it came to recording. You know, somebody wanted to take us in to do a certain kind of song. All right, let's go. We just couldn't get enough of doing whatever we do. So we came out with this stamp out the Beatles. And, of course, it just died. Because the Beatles hit America. And everyone went crazy. And we did, too. I mean, I, I really liked them, too. So kind of hoping that Stamp Out the Beatles would not make a lot of noise. But anyways, these guys were trying to make it happen, and it, it never really did. Although I did see a book recently where George was wearing a Stamp Out the Beatles t-shirt, and I think Ringo was, too. And uh, so they were playing it up, like, you know, look at here, Stamp Out the Beatles. Well, anyways... It never went anywhere after that. So it's just one of those things I wanted to tell you about. Stamp out the Beatles. Well, this is turning out to be the Skip Around podcast. Because I was uh, remembering some things, and I forgot to really tell you how Eddie Guzman came into the Sunliner Band. You know, Eddie was a kunga player, a, a guy around Detroit, and we'd see him in a club and see him here, see him there. And he says that he played uh, kungas. So one night we said, hey, man, why don't you bring your kungas in? He says, ah, oh, they're out in the trunk. I said, well, go, go get them. So he came up on the stage and he played a couple of sets with us, you know, and geez, it was fun. You know, Eddie was just jamming around. And so 
Oh, a couple of weeks later, he popped his head in the club again. We, hey, man, you got your kungas? Yeah, they're on the car. Well, come on in. So he came in and played kungas on and off. This went on and off for like a year, I think, a year, even more probably. And uh, eventually found out that Eddie had moved away to New York on his own. Nobody knew what, what he was doing or Nobody heard from him or anything. And he was just a guy that would come in the club and, and jam with us. So back when we were the Sunliners and and Fred was leaving the group and Ralph was leaving and Russ was leaving, and we had one sax and then we got a, another sax player to take Fred's place. His name was Steve Fisher. Steve was a great horn player. He was really good horn player, good-looking guy. All the girls liked him. So now we had two saxes, both good-looking guys, and all the girls, blah, 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 blah. And I'm still sitting back there on the drums learning more songs, more songs. I mean, I was singing Johnny Mathis' uh, Maria, and I was singing uh, uh, Louis Prima songs and, and, and Four Tops, Temptations, I was just singing, 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 and uh, the band was going on, and Steve was playing, and it was all real good. And then somewhere we decided that maybe it would be fun to have this percussion guy. Where's Eddie, we thought. Well, he's in New York. Well, what's he doing there? Well, I don't know, but let's let's try to contact him. So... We had got a hold of Eddie and asked him to come back in Detroit. And he did. And he came in with his kungas and we brought him in for a night, a couple nights. And we decided to ask Eddie to join the band. So that's how he got into the Sunliners. We had formed a corporation uh, at the request of our attorneys. and uh, So we had the Rare Earth Corporation, and I was the president, and Gil was the vice president, and treasurer. We, were, we issued stock, so we were stockholders. And so we put up a piece of stock for Eddie, but all of us had kind of bought into this corporation and had put so much work into it that it, the goodwill of what we had done had a, a value. So, okay, well, we can't just give Eddie this stock. You know, he's got a, he can have the stock, but he has to kind of buy in. So over time, he has to put in a certain amount of funds to, to pay for his stock. It all came up later in a, in a big lawsuit, those kind of maneuvers. And I'll get to that eventually, but right now, we got a band with a percussionist, and, and we're feeling really good about that. One, two, three. Well, thanks for listening. My name is Peter Rivera, original lead singer drummer of Rare Earth, and I really appreciate that you've listened to these podcasts. I hope you come back and check out more. I've got a lot ahead of us and a lot of the story for you, so come on back and hang with me for a while. I bring you flowers, baby. Cause you're the best I'm gonna treat you so much better Than all the rest 